We all want to feel like we belong, but sometimes it's challenging to find connection in our living spaces, neighborhoods, communities, and relationships. On Home Where You Belong, we're here to change that. Hear stories of people from different backgrounds and from different places and how they've been able to feel more at home to help give you a renewed sense of connection, belonging, and optimism. Welcome to Home Where You Belong with your host, Chip Alford. According to the book, This is Where You Belong, Finding Home Wherever You Are, one-third of Americans don't know any of their neighbors by name. I interviewed the author, Melody Warnick, in episode one. If you haven't listened to it yet, I encourage you to go back and check it out. According to one study quoted by Melody, when you're friends with your neighbors, you're 67% less likely to have a heart attack and 48% less likely to have a stroke. My grandfather, father, and several uncles all died of heart attacks, a few in their early 50s, so it's definitely in my best interest to get to know the people on my street. That brings me to the two neighbors who have become two of my greatest resources and two of my favorite people. They're also today's guests, Julian and Mary Elizabeth Kaufman. They helped introduce me to Chattanooga, my neighbors, and the unquestionable delight of authentic Italian food. More on that in a minute. Equal parts American and Italian, Julian is a Georgia native who serves as football, track and field, and strength training coach at Baylor School and owner of Forte Fitness, a personal training business in Chattanooga's North Shore. A native Chattanoogan, Mary Elizabeth is a luxury travel advisor with King and Whitson Travel. The couple has three awesome children, Kate, Porter, and Julia. Not long after I arrived in Chattanooga, I met the Kaufmans briefly while walking my dog. In no time, they had loaded me into their SUV, showed me key sites around the city, and treated me to a meal at one of their favorite restaurants. A few weeks later, they offered me an even better invitation, an opportunity to join them and several of my South Broad neighbors for a multi-course dinner on the Kaufmans rooftop patio. Turns out Julian's strengths don't stop at the gym, they extend to the kitchen, too. His authentic Italian dinners and the couple's natural hospitality are quickly becoming legendary for the great food, great company, and the strong relationships they help foster in our neighborhood. I recently had the opportunity to interview the Kaufmans in their home in our South Broad neighborhood in Chattanooga. We used a different microphone, and the quality isn't what we hoped for. Hopefully, you'll be able to understand the insights they had to share. I'm still learning about podcasting, so I promise the quality will continue to improve. Julian and Mary Elizabeth, welcome to Home Where You Belong. Thanks for joining me for today's podcast. Thanks, Glad Jeff. to be here, Chip. Okay, so Julian, I know that you're um, half Italian, half American, or how, how do you say that? And tell me well, about that background. You know, for me, half Italian is all Italian. All of it. <laughs> it's the better half, right? That's right. That's right. My, my dad... Um, was American, um, come from a broken home. He met my mother in Italy, he worked for United Press International, okay. and somehow glued my mother over here, and then um, they were divorced, and um, so came from a broken home, and I was with my Italian mother. So, and where were you born, or where did you grow up? The so first... I, was, I was born in Atlanta, literally, I think Mary Elizabeth knows more accurately, but yeah, you got over like two weeks. Your mom came over two weeks before you were wow. born. Yeah. So sort of weird, like sort of like a 
a 1920s Italian immigrant in 1971. So, wow, mm-hmm. that's awesome. Yeah. So you guys ended up meeting in college and um, just tell me, when did you get married and did you guys start out in Chattanooga or what? Yeah, what? so we um, we met at Furman in Greenville, South Carolina. We, I was finishing my master's and so I was at University of Tennessee, Chattanooga. And so when we got married, we said, okay, let's go to Chattanooga. Let's finish your master's. And as soon as that's done, let's get the heck out of there because Chattanooga was a complete dump. And I grew, <laughs> I grew up here. And I mean, everybody who knows it knows that it had a long way to go in 1993. And actually, uh, Bob Corker, Senator Bob Corker, he was the mayor at the time, started the revitalization of Chattanooga around the time we got married. So we get yeah. married. I mean, in the late yeah. 1960s, National Geographic had Chattanooga on the cover as the dirtiest city in the United States. Wow. Yeah. And all the steel. Um, mills and the pollution and, and the, on the cover it going over old Jotty Bridge it looks beautiful today it just yeah. looks like a dark sky yeah. on a sunny day so we were definitely wanting to finish my degree and let's leave and then he had a great job I finished my degree I got a good job we start having a family you know and we've stayed because it really has become such a great city. Have so. you have you guys lived in different areas or what kind of what? Yeah, so I, I was born here. I was born up. Uh, no, I'm sorry. I was born in Memphis, but I was raised up on Signal Mountain because we moved here when I was five. And okay. um, we lived downtown close to UTC for just a couple of years. Beautiful and, old apartment. Yeah, beautiful old apartment. University then, of Tennessee Chattanooga for those right. who don't know. And then we moved up on Signal, bought our first home. We moved away for one year um, for a football coaching situation Julian had. And really, I, me more so than the two of us together, I, I missed being here a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had family and friends here. So we came back and we were on Lookout Mountain for the past, well, 14 years before we moved down here about four years ago. So mm-hmm. um, so the most of the time we've spent has actually been on Lookout Mountain. Wow. Yeah. So you've kind of talked about this a little bit, but how would you describe your personalities? How, how are you alike and how are you different? I want to hear Julian's thoughts on that. <laughs> well, I'm socially handicapped <laughs> and an introvert and Mary Elizabeth is an extrovert and she's not socially handicapped. <laughs> and um, we both like food. <laughs> Our interests really where we... As we grow older, I think the interests we have together um, are very appropriate as you grow older. Like we love traveling, we love food, we love, um, you know, being around our children, their friends, young adults, We, you know, and we're older in life, so it's fun, you know. Um, but he's definitely more of a, let's, uh, let's go mountain bike and hike Mount Kilimanjaro. And I'm like, let's just go to a spa. <laughs> That's where we're different. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, well, I met you obviously here in the South Broad neighborhood. What did you like about this particular neighborhood? You're in Hundred South Broad. Yeah, we were, we were watching the buildings prior to ours being built, and really the first thing that drew us were the rooftop terraces. We would drive by and think, "Wow!" I mean. You sit out there, you look at like look out mountain, and you look to your right, and you see downtown, and there was no doubt that we, that drew us first. We also were ready to downsize, and the size and the setup of these mm-hmm. homes is perfect. You know, there's not much um, wasted space. You know, we knew that it was really a great next step for us from going from a big house with three children to having 
a child now that's a senior and we're about to be empty nesters. It really did, you know, connect with me on that soulish level and, and, and take me back to being with my family in Italy, especially with my grandmother um, when I was a little boy and I would stay with her and, you know, she was in an apartment, you know, in, in Florence, Italy, but, you know, she knew all her neighbors and, you know, you'd see a building from the sidewalk, but, you know, probably for potentially an American person walking outside, they would have no idea that as you walk through the back of that apartment, it opened up the back door that went out the kitchen. It was a full garden. My grandmother had chickens right in the middle of you know, the city. She had a persimmon tree, a fig tree, and a garden, and so did so many others. And so it was a place where you saw your neighbors and you interacted. And there was just this overlap and this sense of community. And you know, when you know you walk out, you know, with my grandmother and go to the market and buy you know, bread from the baker. Fish from the fish she, she knew everybody had that. Yeah, and so those were things that you know captured my heart as a child that were so different than growing up in Atlanta, Georgia, in an apartment complex with people piled on top of each other that didn't really know each other and concrete everywhere. Um, so you know, being here um, in South Broad is you know when we moved in, it wasn't what it is right now, but you could see that it could be, and it had that feel, and, and that really spoke to me and, and I, was, I was interested. I mean, I would love to be even in a more, you know, diverse neighborhood on in every way that you can imagine. But for a small southern midtown city, it's a pretty diverse neighborhood. And yeah. and some of it is economic in the sense that the builder, I think, did a good job in terms of you've got basically at least three different levels of, you know, affordability or, you know, pricing to get in the neighborhood. And that creates some Economic and age diversity, and of course, there's, there's other because know, we have we have condos, townhomes, yeah. single family homes yeah. all together. Yeah, so yeah. I, I think that makes it feel more like being in a city, being with people. Okay, um, we you guys when you were describing yourself, um, Mary Elizabeth, you said you're more extroverted, and Julian more introverted. But I've seen both of you out in the street interacting mm -hmm. with people. You seem to know a lot of people. Is, is it important to you? I think you were kind of talking about this a little bit, Julian. It, it reminded you of Italy. So is it important to interact with your neighbors? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, um, you know, it's regardless of people's religious views or things like, you know, but, you know, in, in, at least in our Western culture and, and, and you know, a, a per, historical person of Jesus saying, love your neighbor. Yep. You know, it's, that's a pretty, you know, that's a pretty good one. I, I, I think it's even better when he says, love your enemy. If we really want to have it's peace. a little harder, right? It's, a lot, it's definitely harder, but I think that motivates me, um, you know, just in our neighborhood to want to interact with all of our neighbors and know their name and get to know who they are as much as they're open to that and be available to them and, um, you know, as much as we can. So, that's awesome. What yeah. about you, Mary Elizabeth? Yeah, I mean, I'm again being an extrovert, I love getting to know people, but honestly, it is funny as you get older, you sort of have these people you know all your life, mm. or at least I do here. And sometimes it takes more energy to get outside your bubble and go meet new people. But the nature of this neighborhood um, has caused, for a couple reasons, the proximity of houses and the single street that everyone has to walk down. But actually, during COVID, we were all in here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, we were all quarantined in here, and you really got to to know people. And um, yeah, to me, it just this is what this is what neighborhoods of the 50s were like, you know, when there were no cell phones and nobody's going inside to 
you know, they have their meals and then they, maybe they come out and the kids are playing in the street. I mean, that doesn't happen very often in America anymore. So, you know, we've got a uniqueness in the sense that we're literally experiencing that downtown, which is very rare, you know, in a downtown setting. So, And I think so, that, you know, Chip, what you're, you know, this idea of home, you know, I think that that's the deepest longing of the human heart, sure. you know, is that sense of home, you know, and it, and it can be as small as, you know, your, your work day and, even if you're passionate about your work and you've had a great day at work, there's still a longing just to go home, right? It's a, there's something about the rest of being home. And, um, you know, in this neighborhood, you know, it's interesting too, like to me from a design perspective, design is so essential to someone's experience and feeling, the soulish feeling of, of, of being at home that that Broadway would, it's bricked, you know, and, right. and, and plants and greenery, but proximity and, um, you know, I, I think all those things help make it easier for us yeah. to know, get to, to know to do to, that. So, yeah. like the other part that you know really spoke to me again, you know, in my ethnocentric <laughs> tallow uh, view is, you know, the you know the one of the big parts of the Italian culture culture is called the passeggiata, and you know it, you know, in the afternoon, um, you know, after five o'clock and after dinner, you will see Italians out in the squares and in the Broadways strolling you know together and you'll see every strata you know of um a populace and you know all ages you'll see you know elderly you know husbands and wives you know arm in arm walking together and um and, and you see that in our neighborhood where you know in in the evenings people come outside you know it starts cooling down and um and your day's over and you're home Right, and you have that sense of rest, and you and you get out, and, and we stroll. And how many times have we strolled along, thinking, "Oh, we're going to just take a short little walk after dinner," but we, you know, it's thirty minutes, forty-five minutes, ninety minutes later, you get home because you you interact with your neighbors. Um, and I think that you know, in our our busy culture, where sometimes maybe that seems like an inconvenience to people, um, it's rich. Yeah, and it adds layers to that sense of home. Absolutely. So the, the Italian word you say passeggiata and that, how does that translate? Yeah, Trans so like community you know, or like it's what? you know it's it's going on your passage, right? Ah, you know, okay. And uh, you know giornata, so it's like part of your day doing this, and it is it okay. is it is part of the Italian day. It's part of the rhythm, okay. and it's become you know very much you know, part of the rhythm in our neighborhood. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, you mentioned dinner a second ago. <laughs> Let's talk about those Italian dinners. So, um, can you tell our listeners about, um, you know, where did that idea come from, and do you remember how it got started? Yeah. So I, oh, the specific way that we're kind of doing this dinner really comes from Mary Elizabeth's idea um, during COVID when we were kind of you know, we were separated, and you know we'll joke about you know oh wouldn't it be fun to have a restaurant i would never do it uh, but it, and then we would talk about oh what would be a great restaurant mary said the greatest idea to, i thought it was is um, we would call it venti which means 20 there's mm. 20 regions in italy we thought well what if every month we just focused on one region of italy and did an entire italian meal which the rhythm of it is antipasti you know what you have before the pasta you know what you know you would normally see is you know cured meats and cheeses mm. and you know maybe different vegetables and things and then you have primo piatto which is typically your rice pasta or soup 
and then you have sicko lo piatto, which is your meat, and then contorni, which are the sides, and then insalata, your salad, and then dolce, and then after digestivo and amaro. So you have all these layers, you know, to the rhythm of the meal and, and to do just, you know, one region. Like, so for example, tomorrow, you know, we're having another one of our dinners and we're, our dinner is going to be Campania, which is the region that Naples is in. Oh, so cool. everything will be antipasti, and primo piatto. Yeah, Amalfi Coast, Amalfi Coast. Amalfi you know, Coast. people know. Wow. So antipasti, primo piatto, secondo piatto, contorni, <laughs> insalata, dolce. Multi-courses. <laughs> so we'll have all those courses tomorrow, but it will all be things from Campania. Okay. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's really fun to do that. The experience of being with my family in Italy at a table bigger than the one that we're sitting at now, which seats six to eight and enjoying a meal with my entire family my aunts, my, you know, my, my uncles, my cousins and having an enormous meal, you know, antipasti, primo, secondo, insalata, dolce, all of that, you know, was, it was, it blew me away, you know, from the time I was a child and it stole my heart. And um, it's, it's, that's my sense of home. And I long for it, as Mary Elizabeth knows, I'm pretty annoying about it, but I long for it, you know, that's where I want to be. And so there's, there's also a selfish component to our Italian meals, you know, that for me to take the entire day to cook a meal like that is just a pleasure. I feel most alive doing that. But it is tied to all of you in the neighborhood that I love and to be with you, but to do something, you know, that, you know, my, my aunts in Italy, my grandmother, the amount of love that I felt, you know, that they gave and the time and the, the, the detailed preparation, you know, making pasta by hand and, um, you know, growing food, preparing food, shopping at the market and, um, you know, my grandmother would, you know, Italian breakfasts are kind of quick. You know, we'd have some homemade bread and some jam and a piece of cheese. And when you're a little boy, you'd have like warm milk and honey, you know, or maybe a cappuccino. And so it's pretty simple at breakfast. But as soon as breakfast is over, you know, my grandmother, and my aunts, they are preparing you know, this amazing cook, yeah. meal. And there's no way that you could do what they do if you aren't just overflowing with love for the family. And so I always felt that. And um, to be able to give a taste of it um, in our neighborhood to try to reproduce it, to have an experience for all of us um, was something I wanted to be able to do. And, and we've been doing it and we've been doing it together as a neighborhood and, and it's been magical. And you haven't had any trouble getting people to come. I mean, I think what you, did you put out a note on Facebook at first? Yeah, or how did we, we get did. People? Actually, what we did the first time is we, invited people just to see what they thought well the concept really came before COVID but then COVID hit mm -hmm. so we thought about it and then we were off so it was um yeah so it was all of 20 that we couldn't do it and then June of 21 I think was our first one and we decided Liguria, Liguria and we so decided if, anyone pesto, the region. <laughs> if people like pesto that's where it comes from so we ended up um just inviting some people to say we all chip in 20 bucks, mm -hmm. bring a bottle of wine, and let's, you know, have a meal. This is great. It seems like it's a good thing for the neighborhood. Let's do it. So the next month, we started sign-ups, I think. I can't remember how we actually got the first few going, but the bottom line is it caught on pretty quick. We're a small neighborhood. You know, we're talking about 
walking and we may be gone 45 minutes to an hour, you know, our neighborhood's like the length of a football field. I mean, it's not that far to walk. Um, so the word gets around quick. And so through Facebook, um, you know, we just start posting, hey, we're gonna have these meals. We did it month to month for a while. And then finally we were like, well, it's pretty popular. Everybody's trying to get one. So let's do three at a time because that's about as far out as we can probably plan. Let's put three months up at a time, let people sign up. We did raise it up to about $35 because we wanted to at least break even. And uh, and still a bottle of wine. And we encourage people and you, to see if you can come on. You even had a waiting list, right? For people yeah, to this, get in. Yeah, this month actually we have nine. We At first we were having eight because it was just a good round number around the table. Sure. And then we realized single people, couples were taking up the space. And I was like, we're going to make it nine. We're going to make it an odd number. So uh, when we made it nine, we literally probably had some some single person every time, which is great. And then uh, we we have a waiting list of like, I don't know, seven or eight this month. So it's really, I mean, it's impressive. Part of it though is I think the community's just, this is one of our outlets to get to see each other, you know, which is at the dinners. Which is Spe- speaking of that, I mean, I, I've only lived here, well, I guess a couple of years now, but um, I've never met this many people so quickly. Mm-hmm. And part of that is through the dinners. And one of the things that I was impressed about, in addition to the amazing food and wine, yeah. is the conversations that people have. Yeah, people yeah. really seem to open up. Do you think it's partly because of that whole experience yeah. of having a big meal together yeah, and the courses? I think, I think a lot of it is we are a culture of more individualized um, pockets, sure. uh, whether it's me and my immediate family, you know, me and my one friend, you know, the one person I see at work, Um, the communities such as in Italy there's more of this community feel that's why the passeggiata that he was talking about is so popular because you get out and you see tons of people Mm. and I think there's just such a longing for people to connect Mm -hmm. I mean they're just it's obvious we can see it in our culture there's a longing to connect and um, and that is a lot of our hope is that you'll love the meal but another big purpose of it is to make it long because Mm. When I grew up, you know, uh, only child, love yeah, all the I'll chime in here. So we're dating. And, <laughs> yeah. and so, you know, I, I come to, you know, I'm, I'm this immigrant kid who goes to a public school that had no windows and a barbed wire fence around it. And I'm, I'm dating this girl that, you know, lives on this beautiful mountain, single mountain in this huge home, you know, which I think it was a modest home, but to me it was enormous. <laughs> and, um, you know, she went to a private, you know, high school and then a private university and, <laughs> and we're having dinner and it was, um, it was interesting to me. It felt like, you know, I didn't really say anything, but I'm thinking it like, this is like a gas station. This is, <laughs> these people are preparing something. The mother is preparing this as quickly as possible. Oh, yeah. And, and I love my mother-in-law. She's passed away and I miss her and I love her so much and, 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 and dearly so, but you know, it's, I remember she served this thing and had mayonnaise and asparagus and I had never seen asparagus. No, like no, this. no, canned asparagus. I'm getting to that. <laughs> I just said, I've never seen asparagus like this. Because it was in a can. Because, you know, no wonder people don't like asparagus because if the color of asparagus is cute and green, <laughs> no. you know, you don't really want to eat it, but it was, you know, everything was, they ate and they ate, you know, it wasn't beautiful Quickly. food, it wasn't high quality food, and they did it quick like it was a gas station. We're fueling up, you know, because that's what we have to do. And then everyone, you know, 
my mother-in-law went to the bedroom and Wheel of Fortune was on and she folded clothes <laughs> and my father went downstairs in the basement and yeah. he did woodwork. Nothing wrong with any of those things. Thir- right? those 30 minutes are... is a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Not yeah. 1.30, it's 15. Yeah. 17, <laughs> maybe 17 minutes, I don't know. Yeah, but um, so that's, I mean, that's part of it. It's a difference. Is yeah. that as, you know, when we got married, poor Julian, I mean, I, I didn't know how to cook. I, I didn't know anything. And he came from a family where, you know, everyone knew how to cook, but also... Being, you know, a child that had a mom that was at work all the time, he was cooking for himself half the time. Yeah. And so it was a learning curve, to say the least, about cooking. But when we went to Italy, when we would, um, you know, talk about the way he was raised and, and meet his grandmother and meet the family and how they got together. And then, of course, now you can see a documentary any day of the week sure. on Italian culture and you realize they really do sit down and they have these yeah. meals and they're planning the next meal as they're eating that meal. Right. And so for us, it was get the And fuel. the TV's not on. I know. Why would you not have a little <laughs> black and white turned on the Channel 3? I don't understand. But yeah, our TV was on, yeah. literally. Yeah. And that's um, there's no offense against that with my sure. parents. That's the culture that we all lived yeah. in. But there's something about when you were asking about the, you know, how the people connect, I guess, sure. in a nutshell. There's something about meals, no matter what culture you're in, that opens up things. And so Absolutely. when you said, I know you, Chip, were at one where we had a real mix of people. Sure. And it got into these spiritual conversations at yeah. the end. I don't think any of us were on the same playing field, and it all came together. You know, the conversation just funneled into this one, like, yes, I want to hear that more about you. And and all of a sudden, you have a relationship that you didn't expect to have because you would have never taken time to meet the person three doors down if there hadn't been a long meal in front of you, sure. not a 15-minute sustenance, yeah. and let's go watch Andy Griffith. <laughs> you know, it was literally um, the nature of the meal brings out that in people, just as Julian said, when you look at, you know, feast in the Bible, all these different, these big conversations that happen in the Bible are usually either about a feast or at a feast. They're breaking bread together. They're breaking right? bread. There's got to be a purpose to that. Yeah, you know? Regardless it's of pretty, the culture or yeah. you know, religious background, people have been breaking bread and celebrating over food like, yeah. forever. Yeah. And I think in that longing, soulish longing for home um, that we have, um, and you know, the, I think one of the most beautiful things you know, the sense of home, a sense of heaven is when there's unity and diversity. Yeah. Right? And, and I think that there's, we have a moment of that, you know, That's when we're at a table yeah. where nice. there's a diverse group of people yeah. for all kinds of various reasons. And, but there's unity for a moment. Right. And, and I think the lingering over, over food together and we're not in a hurry and we're next to each other. We can mm. see each other's faces and eyes and, and we begin to ask questions. I was a little surprised, though, how open people were. I mean, oh, uh, it was great, yeah. and it, you know. And some people shared spiritual stories, mm-hmm. business stories, yeah. other personal stories. Lots but it seemed more people sharing, not trying to convince you of a particular point of view right. or something. It was just being this is who I am, which, or is, yeah. which yeah. is such a breath right now. Yeah, yeah. In, in our culture, everyone's arguing their point. Yeah, yeah. Everyone. You know, and I've not felt that. Yeah, yeah that, not at yeah, all. And, yeah. and to think, I mean, we don't want anyone to feel pressure to share your sure. story. You know? <laughs> Spotlight's on you. Take the mic. but Have a glass of wine. Yeah, exactly. Tell me yeah. More. They usually loosen up a little bit. <laughs> but it has been really sweet for a few neighbors who have said, 
I haven't told that story in mm. 20 years. I haven't expressed that to someone in so long. I haven't really, they've told us. I mean, we've got the advantage of being at every one of them. Sure. So we get to hear all these stories. Um, but that's why when we have another one, we we say, hey, I know you two have never been at one together. Tell your story that you told us. And, and it's just really sweet. You know, that vulnerability and getting to know each other, because we all, right, we all experience, you know, our our mistakes, our fallibility, sure. you know, our um, our losses and pains we've had. And, you know, even, you know, some of, you know, sometimes the, the ways that we've been able to get to know a neighbor um, and they're going through something really difficult at the time and then they feel more welcome, you know, to come and stop our house, you know, Absolutely. and when you have a moment where someone's going through something really difficult and they feel like they can cry with you, yeah. right? And hug them in a more, you know, meaningful and human way. Um, and those are, you know, some of the experiences that, you know, have, have, have grown out of this. But, you know, I mean, people have dealt with some real losses. I mean, people yeah. have gone through or going through divorce. People have had suicide in their families, sure. children. I mean, there's been some serious things that have really been shared. And, um, you know, just the, the vulnerability that people felt the safety in this experience, um, I think, again, it, it, you don't do those things if you don't feel at home, right? You it's been fun. We met a new neighbor the other day. Yeah. And we were talking, shooting the breeze, went on and on. And then finally, something came up about the dinners from our mm -hmm. end. Mm -hmm. He said, oh, I've heard about y'all. You're <laughs> the ones who do the dinners. Yeah. Everyone told me that's how you meet people. And we were like, good. That's yeah. what we want it to be. Okay, that, this has been awesome. I just I have one final question, and it and it's a, a question I I try to end every interview with with podcast guests, and it's pretty simple. It's what is it that makes you feel most at home? And uh, either one of you can go first or chime in together. Yeah, I mean, I um, I am most at home when I'm just with Julian. I mean, mm. that sounds you know sort of cheesy and. I'm trying to keep them cooking for me Sweet. or something, you know, like let's, let's arrive on so we'll keep cooking. I agree. Yeah. When I, I feel like, um, nothing what, for more. Well, we, I hope my, our kids, uh, definitely feel much love, but mm -hmm. you know, I married Julian. I didn't marry Kate or Porter or Julia, you know, I'm, I, that's who I want to be with. And, uh, as they get older, I love to see them go on, you know, all these parents that, why, you know, they, yeah. they definitely, they were crying and they're upset about their children going off to school. And I'm like, you knew what you were signing up for. Yeah. You knew that at 18, they're leaving, right? Because I told my children I didn't marry them. That's right. That's <laughs> right. I, that Mary Elizabeth was joking earlier because um, I bought her flowers this week. And she said, you bought them for no reason. No, I, I bought them for the reason that it's it's like it's like you just said. This, this is the person that makes me feel most at home, right? And my most vulnerable, right? In the things that are the most not right about me, this is the person who accepts me the most. Right? Yeah. Right. So it's definitely home. You know, like there's me. been, there was a, a couple that just moved in here in the past six months and they've moved a lot. I want to say 15, 16 times wow. throughout their marriage. And she said, I have never gotten into a neighborhood ever where I felt like um, this is a community. This is finally a community. And she, and she texted me, I guess, after the first dinner that she came to. And she said, I, I spent, you know, two hours with y'all. And I feel like I've known y'all for two years. Hey, I really appreciate you guys doing this. Uh, you're not only a tremendous asset to our neighborhood, you're also just great friends. And mm -hmm. I really 
I really appreciate both of you. We appreciate you, you too. We love you. Thank yep. you very much. Thank <laughs> you. Thanks so much, Julian and Mary Elizabeth, for joining me today and sharing your story. Listeners, you can view photos of the Kaufmans on the episodes page of our podcast website, homewhereyoubelong.com. And thanks again for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell your friends about us. I'm Chip Alford, and this is Home Where You Belong. We want to help you continue experiencing that feeling of being at home wherever you are. So please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts and visit our website at homewhereyoubelong.com. Want to join in on discussions, ask questions, or share feedback and ideas? Join our Facebook group, visit us on Instagram, or send an email to chip at homewhereyoubelong.com. We'll see you next time. Proud member of the Podnougan Network.